This is the Illuminate Podcast, a Sandy Boy production. Each week on the Illuminate Podcast, the hosts will bring you insightful conversations and stories of people who are illuminating their own lives through their business, work, community, family, and world. Hey, everybody, welcome to the Illuminate Podcast. I am one of your hosts, Lindsay Hine, and I'm so excited to bring you this conversation with Helmi Ansari, who is the CEO and Chief Sustainability Officer at Grosch. Wow, this company is doing some really, really awesome things. Grosch provides access to safe drinking water through the use of biosand water filters, which last up to 30 years, purifying water using only sand, gravel, and warm climate. Now, Grosch is a social enterprise and coffee, tea, and hydration product provider, and they're dedicated to tackling the issue of unsafe water for communities in need. Helmi believes greatly in changing the world through business. Nonprofits are amazing, but he believes there's so much power in changing the world through for-profit businesses. Grosch is a brand that is built with a purpose to raise money to fund these clean water projects. Uh, Helmi's life and the trajectory of how he looked at everything was changed dramatically when he and his wife almost lost their 10-month-old daughter to a waterborne illness. And he'll share about that in this episode. Grosch is also a B Corp business and Helmi is very passionate about paying living wages, not just minimum wages. Such an inspiring conversation, such an inspiring human being and business. And I hope that this conversation encourages you to go do something good today. If you do love this podcast, please leave us a quick rating and review so that potential new listeners can find us. This podcast is part of the Sandy Boy Productions Podcast Network, and you can learn more about all of the podcasts in our network when you go to sandyboyproductions.com. Today on the Illuminate Podcast, we have Helmi Ansari on the show. Welcome to the show, Helmi. Thank you, Lindsay. I'm so happy to be here. I am excited to learn about your story and all the work that you are doing your awesome business. It's awesome for so many reasons, but give us a little bit of background on your life. Like what brought you to where you are now? I would say around 15, 16 years ago, I was um, on a very fast track career path with the fortune fifties of the world, you know, living the corporate dream that I had since I was probably a teenager to get to a certain kind of career path and, and work my way into the executive levels. I had a very successful career at that point. Around 2005 or so, my boss at the time told me, she said, Helmi, sustainability is a pretty major issue in the world today. And people are learning, uh, especially the corporate world is really learning about what's happening in the environment and um, climate change and you know water issues and, and waste issues. I would like you to take the lead in leading our company in forming a new role of sustainability director within PepsiCo Foods Canada. To which I said, uh, I said, Anne-Marie, could you give me a month to really dig through and understand everything that's going on so that I can 
give you my answer of yes or no, will I take this role on or do I continue in my supply chain finance role, which is what I was doing at the time. So I spent about a month and I read um, a book every one to two days on the topic. Wow. And I deeply immersed myself. I was learning about weather, water, waste, people, poverty, everything. And, you know, I thought at that point, I thought, look, I know what's going on with climate change. I know the impacts. Yeah, we recycle, we compost, we do all these things. Um, so we must be good, right? But, you know, 30 days into this, I went back to Anne-Marie and I said, Anne-Marie, not only thank you for asking me to take this role on, but this is all I want to do for the rest of my life. Wow. Is see how I can take our great company and transform it into a real leader in the world of sustainability and use business as a force to address some of these issues. So I started down that path about a, um, a year or so later. My wife was actually traveling overseas with... Um, our two daughters that we had at the time. And our youngest one was about 10 months old. And while she was traveling with my youngest, with our youngest daughter, our 10 month old, our daughter ended up, uh, ended up getting waterborne illness. And it happened to be a variety of stomach cholera while she was in visiting Pakistan. And um, we had a pretty difficult time because we nearly lost our, our 10 month old. Wow. And she got dehydrated to the point where my wife ran her to one hospital and the hospital basically looked at her and she had gone lifeless by that point. She was changing colors. Her, her hands and her mouth was turning blue. And the hospital said, this child is too far gone. There's not much we can do. Try and run to another hospital. So with her baby in her arms, she ran to the second hospital who also said, they're, they're like, there's not much we can do for your child. But then a surgeon happened to be in the hallway that we knew. A surgeon came in. They, they tried poking needles into her foot, into her arms, into her body. They said her veins have already collapsed. They said, we're going to try and see if we can hydrate her brain and keep her alive because that's what your body protects till the very last minute is, is your brain. They shaved her head and they stuck a needle in and thankfully they found, you know, a vein that had not collapsed yet in her, in her tiny little 10-month-old body. Mm. Sorry, this is hard for me to talk about. Oh, I can imagine. But, um, um, yeah, but they were able to find a vein and um, they kept her intensive care for three days. She bounced back. You know, today she's a grade 12 student and she's doing great. And we're, we're so incredibly proud of her, but so incredibly grateful that we had the good fortune that our child survived this. She was in Pakistan with our daughter. I was here in North America living the corporate dream, climbing up the corporate ladder, multi six figure salary car allowance, company stock, this, that corner office overlooking, you know, a beautiful scene and everything. And I just thought to myself, none of this really means anything to me anymore. My dream, which was to be a corporate executive and rise up the ranks through the company, go international, lead a country for a big fortune 50 someday, really was, was, was shaken to the point where I knew that that is not why I've been put here. And, and what happened to us was an opportunity for us to really reevaluate um, what is important to us and, and how we live life 2.0, if you will. And that was the beginning of Grosh. That's what's really started Grosh. Initially, I actually started, um, you know, without this company that makes coffee, tea, and hydration gear, we started with, I, I would come home and I was like, we're going to start selling tea, loose leaf tea. 
So after at the end of my day job, which was at least a 12-hour day, uh, I would come home 6, 7 o'clock at night, have dinner with the kids. Around 9, 10 o'clock, I started packing tins of tea. And uh, we would pack tins of loose-leaf tea. In our in the kind of I, I cleared out the laundry room of our house and, and set up a little tea packing area. I would pack tins of tea, put labels on it, which I would print on my inkjet printer, heat shrink it, wrap it. And we started selling it door to door with a goal of selling, giving profits to the sick kids hospital as a way to say thank you for what, you know, for our good fortune that we didn't lose our child. Eventually that morphed into, you know, me saying, the way to solve the world's problems and to address them, in my opinion, has always been that business has to play a, a really, really important role. And Lizzie, if you ask me why, well, as a business person, I know two to three percent of the world's economy is nonprofit. Ninety-seven to ninety-eight percent of the world's economy is the for-profit world, is the business world. And this two to three percent of nonprofits that are working hard are usually underfunded, overworked. They cannot possibly dream of fixing everything that I would say business without um, purpose is breaking. You know, because we're out there creating an environmental footprint. We are out there pulling too much water from the ground. We're out there causing all these issues, which this 2 to 3% of nonprofits can't possibly handle. So I, was, I started thinking big. I'm like, okay, if I want to be somebody who is able to change the world in my own little way. How do I do that? The answer has to be through business. So one, two, three things, time passed and Grosch was born. Grosch is a brand that we built with the um, purpose of raising money to fund clean water projects for families um, in need to save the lives of children, young, adult, older people, whoever it is. And um, yeah, it's a, it's a business that grew from our laundry room. Literally, that was headquarters 1.0 was a laundry room. Headquarters 2 was a living room. Hmm. Headquarters 3 was a living room, garage, laundry room, all smashed together. And then we just kept expanding, expanding, growing, growing, growing. And we just did our eighth warehouse expansion uh, about a month ago. Wow. That's so cool. Okay. Back me up on timeline for a minute. When you took on the books, 30 days of books... Where does that line up with your daughter getting so sick? So the 30 days was around 2004 or 5. Okay. And our daughter um, got sick in uh, at the end of 2006. Okay. And that's about when Grosh was born. Yeah. Your heart was already kind of like going yes, in this direction. Absolutely. Okay. Um, man, I cannot imagine being here and your wife being there. And like you just like helplessly knowing that she's running from hospital to hospital trying to figure this out. Did she also have a toddler with her? Well, we had a four-year-old and the 10-month-old okay. at the time. Okay. So we had two daughters at the time. Now we have three and they're 21, 17, and 15. But um, yeah, I, honestly, I, I remember that moment, Lindsay, of standing on my window looking out thinking, here I am living the corporate dream and tears just running down my cheeks thinking, I don't care about money and wealth and success. Um, I felt like somebody ripped into my chest and just pulled my heart out and crushed it, you know, at that moment. And I think if we look back in our lives, Lindsay, there's always moments, there are always moments that are sparks 
um, where we make certain choices that determine the course of the rest of our lives. You know, every so years there is there is something that happens, something we see, something we feel, where we make a choice. And for me, that was the moment that really was made me reset my life and say, I've been living the corporate dream, something I wanted since the age of 16 when I was a you know, high school student in Pakistan dreaming of going to the US and getting a higher education and becoming an engineer and going through the corporate ladder and being successful and um, living the traditional dream of success. And at that point in time, I said, you know, I have achieved a great deal of success, but honestly, I'm empty. Uh, on the inside and to fill my heart I think there's a better way to live the rest of my life where we can combine business and still be successful because we are still a business but use that business to change lives in the process and you know over the years we've we found and attracted customers that care about the same things that we do I mean people choose us because they know that they're going to get a quality product at competitive pricing but one that is actually going to help make the world a little bit better for somebody in need. So every product that we sell today is funding 50 plus days of safe water for a person in need. That's the whole reason behind us. Now you guys are in South Sudan, Uganda, Malawi, India, Pakistan, and the Philippines. That's right. How do you choose that path? Like how do you choose which countries you go into? Um, so one of my really good friends runs an engineering company um, called Stewards, and they were running um, a safe water project in South Sudan, which we had personally funded into at some point in time. And um, I told Bruce, my friend there, who's the CEO of this company, I said, I'd like to go to South Sudan with you. I'd already funded some filters. I went to South Sudan. You know, we, we met the people there. We went to Uganda. We went to uh, Nairobi, Kenya. We, we lived in some slums there. We stopped through Rwanda as well. You know, just really looking at what people are facing on a day-to-day -day basis in terms of just being able to get clean water. And I remember, Lindsay, I ran a um, incubator to test the water quality in South Sudan uh, in my room with a little uh, car battery that we got. And we took water samples and we tested the water kits. The quality of the water that people were drinking from city water, from river water, from well water all three sources of their main water supply was more polluted than the water that we tested in toilet bowls in Canada. Mm. So if you can imagine that the water in our toilet bowl is cleaner than the best source of water some people have to drink, it's really mind boggling, you know, and, and I, I learned a lot of things through that, through my travels through Africa and going to these other countries you mentioned, but you know, one of the one of the things I learned was that if somebody is alive today, they have water to drink. If we don't have food, we can live for 40, 50, 60 days. But if we don't have water in about 48 to 60 hours, we die. Wow. Water is that important. So if somebody is alive today, they are drinking water. What is killing the people and taking lives and causing suffering is that the water people are drinking is contaminated. So when I travel to these countries I've, I've seen in Pakistan and Philippines and, and throughout Africa, many different agencies go in and they install wells and they put hand pumps and they put all this stuff. 
I've seen wells that were installed and in two years they run dry or the machines break down. Um, I've seen um, wells that are open wells or wells with like shoddy covers where animals are, you know, defecating close to them in the water and their feces end up going into the well and people are drinking water. They're just dying because the water they're drinking is, is harmful for them. So the real solution is not just to give more access to water, which is needed because people are walking far distances to get access to water, but to be able to purify the water that they do have access to. You know, 50% of the load in some of these hospitals uh, and clinics is actually waterborne illness. And a lot of those people don't survive because by the time they get to their hospital, it's too late. What if we had a simple solution that could purify water for the poorest of the poor without using electricity, because they don't have electricity, without all these cartridges to replace, because you know they can't afford to go buy cartridges to replace filters and UV lamps and all that stuff, without any chemicals, because they can't afford to keep putting more chemicals into these, without any maintenance, without any spare parts, and a solution that lasts up to 30 years, well, that's called the biosand filter. It's Canadian technology. It's made with sand, cement, and um, biologically purifies water for up to a family of 10 for between 15 to 30 years, depending on the model and version that we install. So we've been uh, installing biosand filters for several years, I think 12, 13 years now, and uh, work in these six different countries. And we have different uh, nonprofit partners that we work with, all people that I know personally and have validated and work with. And we install our, our biosand filters and we get detailed reports from of everyone. And I go and I visit and, you know, we have GPS location. Here's a person, here's their phone number, here's the village they're in. I go, okay, today let's go visit these tw 25 people. And we go, we go to their homes. I meet with them. I'll have tea with them. And sometimes they'll, you know, they'll be like, Hey, it's lunchtime. Why don't you have some food with us? And I'll be, you know, I, I sit and talk to them and I'm like, what has happened to your health? Has your family's health improved? What were the issues you faced before? And 99.99% of the time, they'll say within a month of having biosand water, our lives changed. Our kids can go to school because they're not sick at home with worms in their stomachs and diarrhea and dehydration. The adults can go to work. The elderly people are, are facing a lot less issues with, you know, with uh, waterborne illness and health. Um, yeah, it transforms lives. It's a simple solution, but it is what's needed, I think, to address the fact that nearly one in seven people in the world today are drinking water that is unsafe to drink. So your company, Grosh International, you guys have tea and coffee and mugs and what else do you have? So we, um, the three main product categories for us are coffee gear, which is like stovetop espresso makers like the Grosh Milano. Uh, French press coffee makers um, and uh, different coffee gear like coffee grinders, etc. So that's kind of the coffee side. Then we focus on tea. So we've got tea steepers, um, tea makers, teapots, things like that. And then we've got hydration. So we've got cups, mugs, stainless steel bottles, infusers, flasks, uh, double wall insulated stainless steel water bottles and flasks. And you know, the uh, the kind of tagline for our brand, which goes along with every product that we sell, is every cup fills another. Mm. So as you fill your cup with coffee, tea, or water to drink, you could be filling somebody else's cup with, with safe and clean drinking water at the same time. Um, yeah, so we think that kind of puts the 
the product and purpose together and builds um, builds a way that people through their daily coffee, tea, or water intake can actually um, brighten somebody else's day at the same time. How do you, I know you're a B Corp organization. What makes you, what makes a business qualify as a B Corp? So B Corp is a um, pretty difficult certification to get. Think of it as being organic certified, but mm-hmm. not just for a product, but for the entire company. Mm-hmm from how you source products and how you work with factories and are those factories environmentally audited, certified, are they meeting kind of all the qualifications there to the actual products you do, to how you take care of your employees, are you paying a living wage, are you a carbon neutral company and what are you doing to cut your own footprint all the way to the end customers, are you giving them a sustainable product solution that is helping them um, live a healthier, better life and be better for the planet overall. So it's a lot of different things that go into it. And we are just finishing our, I think, third or fourth recertification as a B Corp. Okay. But uh, it basically, it's a marker for us to say that we're in good company. Mm-hmm. You know, we are with like-minded brands like uh, like Ben & Jerry's or Patagonia, uh, et cetera, that, that kind of share this, um, this desire to change the world through better business. Um, using business as a force for good, I think, is what, is what we often say for B Corps. I love that. Yeah. I wish more businesses would do that. Hey friends, a quick break here to let you know about the elderberry syrup that Green Growers Farm produces. Man, it is cold and flu season and this is the time to stock up on good quality elderberry syrup made with raw local honey and organic elderberries. Green Growers elderberry syrup is made with additional beneficial herbs like ginger root, organic rose hips, organic marshmallow root, organic clove, organic cinnamon, and organic echinacea. This elderberry syrup is an immune-boosting microbatch, and it's loaded with vitamin C, antioxidants, and more. This is the perfect time to take a tablespoon every single day. I take one. Um, kids can take a teaspoon if they're over one. And if you do happen to get a cold or flu, it is proven to decrease your symptoms. Go to greengrowersfarm.com and when you check out, use the code SANDYBOY for free shipping. And the fun fact is this is a business that is part of our network. One of our hosts of the podcast, The Urban Pharmacy, is the owner of this amazing farm and elderberry syrup. So go check it out, greengrowers.farm. Use the code SANDYBOY at checkout. Can you talk a little bit about the importance of paying your employees living wages and the importance of more businesses like joining this this crowd of people that are doing that. Yeah, you know, it's um, it was a few years ago when um, Living Wage Ontario and Living Wage Canada still was forming as an organization. It hadn't it hadn't initially um, it hadn't been formed yet, but um, I think minimum wage here at the time was eight dollars or something like that, and we were paying. I think 12, 50 or 13 as our lowest wage within the company. And I thought to myself that, hey, we're paying, you know, 30, 40% above minimum wage, so we must be okay. Uh, or we must be one of the good guys, you know, unlike fast food and all that, which is typically, you know, all at all at living wage, all at minimum wage. And then I started to really learn about what a living wage is. You know, a living wage basically is what if you are two people uh, earning in a in a home that what both people would need to make to be able to pay rent, um, have one vehicle, bus fast for the other person, have a staycation, 
and basically put food on the table and take care of your basic needs. That's it. Zero luxuries. The living wage at that time was, I think, $15 an hour. Okay. And I thought to myself, oh, my God, I'm paying 12 Living wage is 15 So basically what we were doing at the time, even though we thought we were above minimum wage by a considerable factor, our staff was actually in under the poverty line. The real poverty line, not the quote-unquote minimum wage poverty line, because minimum wage is way below poverty line. So we made the decision that we would we would definitely be a living wage employer from that point on. I I, I think that was tw- when was that? I don't even remember now. Twenty thirteen or fourteen, something like that, when Living Wage Ontario and Living Wage Canada was formed, and we've been a living wage champion since then. So um, we pay a living wage to our staff. Any contractors we hire, any temps we hire, any agencies that we subcontract for anything, although we don't really do any subcontract, we commit that 100% of everything will be at um, at the living wage level for um, yeah, for the particular region that they're in. And I speak on the concept of living wage. I've been to Parliament, Ontario Parliament, and I've addressed them and talked about living wage. And, you know, when minimum wage was $9, we were canvassing for a $14 minimum wage, and I was called to uh, Ontario Parliament to... Uh, address the parliamentarians and tell them about why we thought, even as a business, it's important to help fund people so that they're not the living poor, uh, sorry, yeah. the working poor, yeah. right? They're not the working poor. So they're working full, full-time, full 40 hours a week, and they're still under poverty. How is that right being a first-world country? Um, and even business-wise, economically, you know, when we put more money in the hands of people that are at the lower income bracket, those folks aren't going to go drop it into mutual funds or or investments. They will go to the corner store and they're going to buy milk and they're going to buy bread. That money immediately gets back into the economy. And um, when the government of Ontario passed laws to take minimum wage from nine, $9 an hour, then to 10 and then up to $14 an hour, our economy actually grew mm. because all that money that went in was spent locally. It wasn't invested in the Cayman Islands and, you know, wherever the billionaires you know, probably stash all their money or these the big, um, um, yeah, the big corporations. But this is local money that gets spent in your local economy. So we've been championing for living wages um, since I really learned about what a living wage is and talking about it. And, of course, uh, pay that to all our, all our staff as well. Yeah, the working poor, that's, that's such an important population of people to to help. You know, I, I work in the running industry. My other podcast is a podcast for runners. And, you know, people like to say things like, oh, if it's important to you, you'll make time for it and things like that. And I always think about that with exercise. And the people that don't have time for it are those people. You know, yeah. they're those people because they're literally spending all their free hours working just to make a living wage and that is so sad you know no person who's working 40 hours a week should be living under the real poverty line this is where over the decades as inflation has increased ceo pays have increased uh, far far faster than the actual earnings of people that are close to that minimum line and the cost of living has gone up way faster than wages have, you know, on the lower end of the pay scale. And look at the inflation we've seen in the last several years. I mean, in the last couple of years, it's it's crazy. Six, seven, eight, nine, ten percent inflation on stuff, 
bread that used to be a dollar is now two dollars. I mean, it's how is somebody going to afford that if they're making, you know, below a living wage? So I think it's it's very important for businesses to really understand that we need to make this investment in our people. A, it gives you engagement from your staff. B, you know that that your staff will care for you when you know you care for them. Yeah. I just bought a box of Cheerios last night for like six fifty, And I was like, yeah. what is this? And my, I have four boys and they'll go through that one box in like one day, you know, yeah. it's, it's crazy. Um, you know, on the topic of that though, I brought up my kids. I am so curious, and this is probably like an entire another podcast episode we need to record, but, um, how you talk to your daughters and raise your daughters to be the kind of people that care, like the kind of people that want to give back and make the world a better place. There is a, I think there is an old um, saying, uh, teach me, show me, let me. These are kind of three steps of learning, right? So, or tell me, show me, let me, something like that. So, you know, as much as we tell our kids, be kind, care about others and, and be charitable and, um, whatnot. I think it's when our kids traveled with us mm. to these places, to our safe water projects in the Philippines, in the third desert, in Sin, and they saw what real poverty is like. When they saw a six and seven year old who had never owned a pair of shoes in his life, um, and when they saw the water that these people were drinking and these children, how malnourished they are, when they saw these homes made out of mud where the proudest possession of this home. Um, was used boxes of black tea, just like cardboard boxes of tea that the lady would have strung up in her house as decor. And she was showing it off to us so proudly. I think when our kids really saw that with their own eyes, it helped them understand why we do what we do. Um, you know, up till then it was, oh yeah, my parents do this and they run a safe water project. My parent, my dad travels and my mom travels and we go to these places and we live with these people. But I think when they saw it with their own eyes, they really understood what it was. And I hope, and I believe that in the course of their lives, whatever path they choose, whatever gifts of their own that they choose to, uh, to build upon and leverage, whether they're in HR or accounting or finance or anything, a manufacturing production that they will find ways to make the world a better place by virtue of what they do at work. Mm. They will choose employers that share their personal vision and their beliefs, and they will maybe, you know, someday um, find that that synergy between the work that they do and the personal values that they've instilled in them from being from being kids and from what they saw. Yeah, I think that this generation too, the ages of your kids, um, they it seems like they're going to care a lot more, most people, about what their employers are backing and believe in, more so than my generation, you know, like 20 years up. It's It just seems like these kids are taking more of an interest. You're absolutely right, Lindsay. I remember when I was applying for a job, graduating university, unemployment was at, I think, 12% or over 10%. All I wanted was a job. Yeah. I didn't care. Anybody put a salary, just let me pay my rent, right? Today, unemployment is historically low. The search for talented folks with different skills and education skill sets is very, very competitive. And this generation has grown up seeing 
what war has done. They have seen their parents work for 30, 40 years in a company and then get laid off by being, you know, headcount reductions and chop and burn and slash and burn every few days. Some big companies laying off 500 people, 1,000 people, you know, 5,000 people. And um, they're not as committed to this ideal of I want to work for this one company for the rest of my career. They're more thinking about who do I want to work mm -hmm. with? What do they stand for? Why should I work with them? And when you find that overlap between a company with purpose and a person who says, I like what I do and I like why I do it. When you can combine those two, then you find somebody that's really unleashes their talent and their creativity and they have fun what they're doing. And, you know, even the bad days at work, the next day you can look back and say, you know, that was a pretty tough day. We went through a lot of stuff, but at least I know why I do what I do and I care about why I do what I do. And you charge your batteries and you go back and back at it. Yeah, hopefully this generation will push companies to do better. I mean, to to want to be B Corp certified, to to want to pay living wages, to want to make sure they're giving back in ways that are helping the world. Um, was that super intimidating though when you you know you and your wife start packing up tea and and you decide like you finally decide to leave your own job and like go all in on this company? It must have been a little bit scary. It was extremely scary and to the point where, you know, I was the, the only um, earner at that point and a Grosh was, took several years to become a profitable business. And um, I would be constantly funding it with my paycheck from my day job. And my wife ran the business basically for several years. I would uh, do the product development and I learned how to do packaging design and nights and weekends I was designing packaging and being an engineer, I was designing products. Um, leverage some families help to, to connect with the factories to, to manufacture my designs. But my wife ran the company full time till 2016. Wow. And then at that point in time, you know, 10 years into this, the company was strong. We had some very big customers. We had Bed Bath & Beyond. We had Hudson's Bay Company, some pretty major retailers had come on board. And I felt confident enough. I was like, OK, this is the right this is the right time to make the switch. And things worked out uh, to where I made the switch and we've continued to grow dramatically since then. Who was making the sales calls to Bed Bath & Beyond? You know, funny story. Um, I was actually at work at my day job and my wife called me up. She says, I just got a phone call from Bed Bath & Beyond and they said they want us in 10 stores in the next 90 days. Uh, and I what said, product was it? Uh, we had some teapots and some French presses and a couple of glassware at that point. This is this was a few years ago. And I said, okay, I'll <laughs> call them at lunchtime. So you know, at lunch, I went outside, took my took my phone, and I called the person up. And I said, hi, I'm calling from Grosh to answer your questions. I said, we saw your product. We bought some of them from an online website, and we really like your product, and we like what you're doing with your whole water thing that mm -hmm. you've got. We like you in 10 stores, so can you figure out U.S. distribution and have EDI capability in the next 90 days? I was like, sure, no problem. <laughs> 90 days is perfect. Uh, all excited, I hung up, and then I, I pulled out my phone, and I'm like Googling, what is EDI? <laughs> Looking for a U.S. warehouse. So anyway, it was it was crazy times, but that's how we started, you know. you I, my, 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 my mom always says, she says, if you do good and you put it out into the world, and you believe in why you do what you do, the universe will multiply it by a hundredfold and send you that good back to you. 
that's what happened. And all these sales calls, everything, honestly, we never called Hudson's Bay Company. We never called Bed Bath & Beyond. We never called Saks Fifth Avenue. They called us. Wow. We've been lucky. We have, we have you know, a few sales reps uh, that are calling on smaller accounts. But, yeah, for the most part, um, if you really believe in what you do and you put good out there, I always believed that success will find you. Wow. I was just picturing you like on your lunch break, picking up the phone and be like, you know, nope, Colin. never did that. that. That really says something about your product, though, the quality of it. If they just, you know, they had a buyer just like try it out on your website and just decide, hey, we want to run this. Yeah. And they, they put us into 10 stores and then it kind of grew from there. And people see us in one retailer and they're like, oh, look, What's they're this? carrying this product. What's this? Oh, look, this is nice. And then somebody else contacts us and contacts us. And then, you know, now we have a marketing department. We've got a few people doing marketing and we're designing our websites, doing photography and digital marketing, advertising, all that stuff. We never did any of that before. Are your employees um, all OK? Two more questions about this and then mm-hmm. we'll do into podcast. Are your employees all in Canada and then like the coffee that you source, are you sourcing those from farmers and are those considered like um, like contractor employees to you guys? Um, so all our employees are in Canada. Okay. So all of our staff works out of, out of Cambridge, um, which is our main head office. We do have um, a third-party logistics you know, warehouses that we contract for some of our stuff for like Saks Fifth Avenue or Macy's.com or, or Bed Bath & Beyond, et cetera. But, um, yeah, all of our staff is here. Um, our marketing team is here. Our main warehouse is in Canada. We have our laser etching machines here. So we, we actually do corporate partnerships. So if a company wants to give out employee gifts that give back and they're like, hey, we've got, you know, we know Grosh has bottles. We'd like to put our brand name on them and give them out as company gifts. We do all of that in-house over here. And um, yeah, the coffee that we source is coming from a local coffee roastery uh, that is roasting for us exclusively for us on a small batch, small okay. batch basis. Those are vendors. They're okay. not contractors. They're vendors that we would that we work with. But um, yeah, our main business is our stovetop espresso makers, which okay. we're like one of the top brands in North America for stovetop espresso. We do all the design, engineering, construction, the, and um, factory audits. I do those personally. I go to the factories, I audit them, making sure they're meeting environmental standards, social standards, working conditions, ISO 14,000, ISO 9000, like all of that stuff, making sure everything is there. Um, yeah, and then we're just honestly, my my wife takes care of customer service, and we she answers all the emails that are coming in for people, and like every week we're like, hey, we'd like to add you as a wholesale supplier. Oh, we like to add you. We like to buy gross stuff. We saw gross stuff here. We saw gross stuff there. So we're just trying to keep up with all the growth that's coming at us, and it's it's pretty exciting, but it can be overwhelming. Yeah, yeah, but exciting because the more you sell, the more you give. Absolutely, and every product's giving fifty plus days of safe water to somebody in need. You know, we have been growing so fast, Lindsay, that about um, a year or so ago, we took a look at how much safe water we had given, total number of days of safe water. So one day is one day of safe water is basically one day's water for a person, around uh, just about a gallon. So we said we're at 150 million days of safe drinking water. And we're this tiny little company in Cambridge, Ontario that started on the laundry room, is now in a warehouse. And we said... Let's sell. The, let's set a really bold goal for ourselves. I love a bold let's say, goal. Let's say within a year and a half. Okay, we've been doing this for ten years. Within a year and a half, can we double 
everything we've done in the last 10 years because we are growing so fast? The answer was yes. We're going to go from 150 million days of safe water that we had given up to that point. And we sell the, we, we set a BHAG, a big, hairy, audacious mm. goal, right? A BHAG, let's get to 300 million days of safe water by the end of 2022. So that is a goal we're working towards. Um, the more products we sell, the more safe water we give. So we grow our sales, we grow safe water, and so far, happy to report, we are on track. Uh, and towards the end of the year, which will be at the end of December, there's a counter on our website on the oh, top cool. right, which shows you how much safe water we've given. And the page shows you where all the different projects are at and, and whatnot in a lot of detail. There's actually photos of a lot of the uh, biosand water filter recipients. We are hoping that our customers will continue to choose us and help us grow so that we can get to 300 million days of safe water. So this is where choices that people make, you know, at that retail shelf, when they choose Grosh over choosing a competitor, they're choosing, they're casting a vote towards the world where people aren't dying because the water that you, they're drinking is, is unsafe. Sorry. So the more people choose us, the more they support us, the more we're able to get to that 300 million days of safe water goal that we've set for ourselves. Yeah, and so much more motivating to sell the product when you know that there is a a reason behind it. Like there's so much more to it. Um, all right, we'll wrap up here with into podcast questions and we'll link to your website and, and Safe Water Project in the show notes here. What is something professionally or personally you'd like to do that you haven't done yet? Ooh, good question. Personally or professionally that I haven't done yet. Um, well, I will say I am recovering from back surgery I had a couple of years ago. A couple of months ago for something I suffered with for a couple of years. And now that I'm getting back into shape, I want to get back to taking care of my health and running. And uh, you said you were into running as well. Yeah. Getting back into running and getting back into kind of my fitness side of things. I'm a, I'm a former CrossFitter. I used to love CrossFit. So okay. I start that on a post level. My wife does CrossFit every single day. She's like running up and down the street. And, oh, love and, it. And my, our daughter does too. So I want to get back into that on a personal level. On the professional level, I think, Lindsay, Grosh is all about a vote, a dream of a better world through better business. I would love nothing more than to inspire my biggest competitors Mm. To to look at us and say, oh my God, look at Grosh's success. They've gone from being a laundry room operation to being one of the biggest brands of stovetop espresso makers and water bottles and teaware uh, in North America. Now they export to France, they export to Australia, they're shipping to Chile, they're going all over the world, they're going international. Look at their success and they're being successful because they're a B Corp, because they pay a living wage, because they have a safe water project, because they're carbon neutral, because they care about all the things that the conscious consumer cares about. Maybe we should do the same. Mm. Inspiring my competitors to do, to use their business is my greatest professional aspiration. If my competitor called me up tomorrow and said, hey, Hilmi, we want to be a B Corp or we want to run a water project, I would be glad to help them. I would open up all my files and my books and I will do everything in my in my power to help them use their business as a force for good because Grosh or, you know, a few thousand B Corps aren't going to do it by ourselves. Right. This is a movement that has to, that has to demonstrate that business success comes from being good, from doing good. Traditional business says you make a ton of profit and then you donate a couple of percent to charity at the end of the day when your PL is done. 
the way we run our business is the doing good is built into the top part of the PL. Mm-hmm. You sell product, you do good, and then profits at the end. It's not 2% of, of, of your profit line. It's, it's built into it. The more good we do, the more business success we have. If I can really inspire my competitors and other businesses, then I think my professional um, dream would have been met. That is beautiful. That is so good. Um, two more questions here. What is yes. the best, most recent book you've read? So, yeah, my our former CEO from PepsiCo Foods Canada, Marque, who's actually on our advisory board, um, came by a few weeks ago for an advisory board meeting, and he referred to a book that um, he bought for us, I don't know, maybe 10, 15 years ago. And I've gone back to that, and I'm rereading it, mm. which is The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People by Stephen Covey. Mm. And it's an old classic, but, yeah. you know, it reminded me why I fell in love with it for the first time. Okay. You know, Seven Habits talks about how success is not something that is driven by personality. It's driven by character. And it gives you the tools to really be introspective and look into yourself and say, am I building the kind of character that builds win-win relationships, that uh, helps, that listens to people before we speak to understand what their needs are that helps us prioritize and and meet our commitments and and also learn to say no to Mm. things that we really shouldn't be spending our time on so all those things about having the right character to be successful to achieve your goals um and you combine this with kind of the you know the the simon sinek start with why thing you know and and you put them together and it's it's building that character that helps you achieve um your personal and professional dreams is uh seven habits by stephen covey a classic yes and start with why i've heard of that as well okay what's your last message to leave with our audience today um it is very easy to think of ourselves as a drop in the ocean and that to think that our individual choices won't make much of a difference. But the only message I have to, t- to give is that every single choice we make, every decision that we make, determines who we are and the future that we're a part of building. So when we choose a product um, on shelf, for example, if we're choosing product A or product B, understand that those choices matter. Mm-hmm. You know, if product A is is there and it gives back and it's a B Corp or a 1% for the planet or something else, some a product that is backed by a company that is trying to build a better world versus, hey, look, this guy is, you know, a buck fifty cheaper and it's in 27 more colors, but it's a cheaper product that will probably fall apart in six months. And, you know, don't choose disposable, don't choose cheap, choose quality, something that will last, that is backed by real people that care about the same things you care about. When we make these choices, these choices are a vote we cast for the world that we want to have. And I used to think at one point in time, Lindsay, that things with climate change and what's happening with, with the world are things that our children would face and they would see. But, you know, I'm seeing pictures from my friends and my cousins in Pakistan right now who are sending me cell phone footage of the floods and how you know, millions of people have been displaced um, and thousands of people have died because the weather is going awry. So it's it's not something our kids, will, just our kids will face, but we're seeing it today. Um, and we're creating 
irreparable damage when we choose to buy from brands that aren't carbon neutral. They don't they don't stand for you know, the kind of principles that we have. So when people say that they have when people when we look at ourselves in the mirror and we say we have integrity, then the decisions we make and the choices we make need to be aligned with our personal values and our integrity. And when we will choose um, with our personal principles, our choices will help shape a better world. All right, friends, thanks so much for being here today. Thank you, Helmi, for coming on the show. To learn more about Grosh, go to Grosh, G-R-O-S-C-H-E dot C-A to learn more. We'll put the link in the show notes at sandyboyproductions.com. Check out the elderberry syrup at Green Growers Farm, greengrowers.farm. And if you want to purchase that, use the code SANDYBOY for free shipping. Thanks for being here. You can learn more about this podcast and all the shows in our network at sandyboyproductions.com. I'm Lindsay Hine, and I look forward to seeing you next time.